Well, a very happy Easter to you. And as I'm sure you know, today is the most important day in the church year, in the church calendar, Easter Sunday. And yet for many of us today, it doesn't really feel like Easter. Usually we get a little extra dressed up. We show up for church. Everyone comes because mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or someone Someone said, you've got to be there, you've got to go. And we work extra hard to get people to church this day. And then you have something you traditionally do afterward. Maybe you go out to dinner somewhere. Maybe you go to a a friend's house, a relative's house, uh, a meal out. Maybe you make reservations for that um, a month or so in advance. And it's something you expect. It's these traditions that we develop. Maybe you hide Easter baskets or eggs or you go out to to a movie together as a family you all get together in the kitchen and and cook something that maybe you've passed down in your family for generations and this year we can't really do many of those things or enjoy those things and we feel lost we feel lonely we may even feel a little bit fearful there's no peace around us and For some of us, there may be little peace inside of us, and we feel all these same things, these same stresses of life, but in a greater degree to a greater extent, and we feel them more so than we've maybe felt them ever before, and the same question comes up in our minds over and over again. How much longer? How much more till this is done? Please, God, give us some help. Where are you? And if you're out there, if you're listening, how can this happen at Easter of all times? So today as we go to God's word and we seek understanding for our lives and for our relationships in the world around us, we're all trying to figure this out. We're all trying to deal in our own way to understand. And it's okay that we have these questions. And those questions, they're not rooted in us not loving God, but our, our questioning, our frustration comes from our intense dislike for all of this around us, all of this hurtful, destructive, negative stuff that we experience. And we ask these questions because we are genuinely, at Easter of all times, in ourselves, out of sorts. We're out of alignment with what we expect, with what we're used to. None of this is what we prepared for, what we wanted. We don't necessarily know what's going to come next. We aren't sure what to do next. And as we enter into the Easter story today, it's so important for us to hear one thing. God is still with us. And He does know. He does care. He's aware of our lives and and what we need. And he's not just out there somewhere silent. He's at work and he's speaking to us today from his word. And in the midst of all of this and all that we're facing, I want you to know that God, he loves you. And this is all taking place for reasons that we do not yet understand. And as we face all of this and Perhaps as we face it now at Easter of all times, we're going to enter into this story with open hearts and fresh eyes, with our ears open and our minds attuned to what God is saying, that our spirits would be aligned with the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would learn from God's word today 
in a different way, perhaps in a deeper way, as things are not the status quo, as they're not what we are used to. As we go to God's word this morning, I'm going to pray and we're going to open up to John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, a familiar passage, the Easter story, but let's pray for a moment. God, we come to you today seeking to understand. We know you love us. We know you're at work. And even in the midst of all of this, God, we know that you have a plan. So quiet our hearts and open our minds and give us perception. Spiritually, give us that ability to understand what you need us to hear this day from your word in the midst of all the uncertainty and unknowns that are swirling around us. Give us that peace and that knowledge of who you are and what you're doing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look today at a familiar passage. This is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18 in God's Word. You've heard this before. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that point, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading to the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must be raised from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb, and she was crying, and she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, Why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she said, Sir, If you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father, to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them what he said to her. This is God's holy word, and we're so thankful for it today, especially on this Sunday where we celebrate the resurrection from God's word. 
Now in this passage, the women came to the tomb early in the morning to anoint the body with heavy perfume. This would be the kind of incense or frankincense that the wise men, the magi, brought to Jesus when he was an infant. Frank, very powerful, very potent. Now Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they had taken Jesus' body, though they were part of that Sanhedrin, that ruling aristocratic group from Jewish culture. They took the body and they boldly, they took it and they prepared it already and they probably used, as was common at that time, around 75 pounds of embalming agents of this frank incense, this heavy embalming perfume, these oils and spices, and they embalmed the body and prepared it for burial. But the women came as part of a mourning process. As part of what they did, they would come later. And because of the Passover, they had to come now, and it had been three days. And they knew that, frankly, for practical purposes, this was helpful because the body would, it would smell as it decayed. And they wondered to themselves, as we read the different gospel uh, accounts from God's word, who would move the stone? How could they even get into the tomb? They weren't sure, but they knew they had to do something. So they went and they had just these expectations of, we're going to do whatever we can do. They weren't even sure what was going to happen. And as they arrived, they found the body was taken away. The stone had been removed and fearing that perhaps the Romans had done this because they didn't want someone else to take the body and cause unrest to create some kind of sensational scene or perhaps it had been grave robbers but they weren't sure what happened but it was devastating because Mary and these women they had come to honor Jesus and now they couldn't do it this was just unthinkable so they run and get Peter and John he's the other one mentioned that is mentioned as the the other disciple not specifically named because this is his gospel his account but notice in true fashion he wants to point out who got to the tomb who was the the faster runner peter was a little older and john wants us to know that he was a little lighter on his feet and he got there first and yet as they finally look into the tomb they find the linen cloths particularly the one that would have covered the the head of christ they've been neatly folded and placed where the body had been laid Now, this didn't make any sense. The Roman soldiers certainly hadn't shown Jesus any respect in life. They weren't going to show him respect in death. And grave robbers would have just grabbed the body and been been gone with it if they wanted to make some kind of a scene. They weren't sure what to make of any of this. What has been happening? There's a flurry of reaction. But as we're told in John 28, John believed. He understood that Jesus had risen, but What exactly did that mean? Before the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the disciples didn't understand all of the depths of scriptures. Over and over again, we see Jesus saying to them, now do you get it? Do you understand now? And yet we see again and again, and this should give us some hope as people who seek to understand God's word. They didn't get it because they didn't understand all the scriptures without the power of the Holy Spirit, both the mind and the spirit. When we give our lives to Christ, we're, we're never called to check our brains at the door. We're called to engage our whole selves, but there's a spiritual depth that spiritual matters require. We need God's Holy Spirit to dwell in us so that we have spiritual understanding. That spiritual dimension requires spiritual understanding. And they did not yet have that as we receive it when we accept Christ today after Pentecost. So they wanted to understand, but they didn't get it. They didn't understand. 
Did he rise? What did this all mean? It, it seems like he rose. John believed that he rose, but what exactly was going to happen next? Now, what do we do? Not being sure, they go back and, and they stay together till Jesus appears to them later. And I think in a very real way, perhaps more profoundly for us this year than ever before, when we just do our things or go out to eat or go to grandma's house or whatever it is, that thing that you would normally do, we understand the fear, the uncertainty, and the smallest twinge of despair and just discomfort with not even knowing how they should feel. The women at the tomb and the disciples as well. They leave this place. They find nothing as they expected it to be. There is just this alarming sense of unrest. It's just latent. It's latent. It's just kind of there, thick in the background of the story. A mixture of fear and of hope. But what should we believe? How should we feel? Maybe things are going to get better. Maybe they're not. What do we do? I think of all years, this Easter, the story perhaps comes to us in a new richness, in a greater depth. But notice Mary. She stays, wondering what to make of all of it. And despite all that she's already endured as those following Jesus have watched him, as we talked about last week, be beaten and scourged and whipped and as we know that he went before Pilate, the governor, and the, the Sanhedrin had this kangaroo court and these illegal trials, and Jesus has suffered so much, he's physically disfigured by the time he gets to the cross, and he suffers the most agonizing death that we've ever imagined as people. He dies on the cross, and yet she takes courage. We don't even recognize how much courage this must have taken, but Mary, she looks and she goes in. She enters into the tomb. Peter even waited for John before he went in. They all wait for each other. They all go in. But Mary, alone there, they've all, everyone's departed. She's the one left. But she has the courage to go in. She goes in. She steps in. In John 20, 13, they, we learn that she finds two angels waiting for her, growing and brilliant and white and in Scripture, usually people just fall down, they're terrified, and I'm sure she was afraid, but she's so perplexed by her emotions and her despair and not knowing what to feel. She doesn't even just fall down and scream that we're told in Scripture, but she, she just speaks to them. She asks a question. They, they ask her first, woman, why are you crying? And of course, she answers, she says, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where. I don't know where he is. Perhaps this year, more than any other, we have a small sense of how lost and how confused she feels. But look what she says. Look how she responds to the angels. Look how she addresses Jesus. She says, my Lord. There's something to that. There's something no worth us noting. Even in that moment of utter despair, when she sees angels and she doesn't freeze and cry out or fall down in fear the way that we would expect her to do, she tells them what she seeks, what she needs, what she's looking for. She needs to find her Lord in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the loss and the grief, she needs to see 
Jesus. Maybe you feel like that today. I know all of us at times throughout this have probably felt this way. That's all she's seeking. That's all she wants to know, that Jesus is there, that all of this didn't mean nothing, that he really has arisen. John, he says he believes. Mary, she wants to believe, and she says, I just want to know where he is. Is he gone? Has he passed away? Where, where's his body? If you've taken it, just tell me. Tell me where it is. Is this all going to be okay? I don't know about you. But that is probably the most honest and transparent thing that Mary could have said or that she could have urged or done. She just, I just want to know. I just want to understand. Maybe you can relate to that. I know I can. That's all we want to know right now. We all seek to understand. We want to know that Jesus is there, that he cares, that he's with us. We want to know this is all going to be okay. And that he is with us, that he knows us, that he loves us now more than ever. We want to know that the risen Jesus is there, that he is waiting to wrap his arms around us. He loves us that much. And when we see Jesus, he comes to her in this moment of need and and all the brokenness and fear and the swirling doubt and uncertainty, all those emotions in her, Jesus comes to her and she doesn't recognize him because of his resurrected body or not completely resurrected body or her fear, her emotions or all of these things because he may not, he's not disfigured obviously the way he had been. This process, the resurrection, we don't understand it. We've not gone through it ourselves, but she just doesn't recognize him. She's not sure who he is, and she thinks he's the gardener. And she doesn't know him until he does one thing. Until he speaks to her. He calls her by name. Immediately, she wants to run up, and she wants to hug him or grab his hand. And he says, hold on, this, this whole thing, this, this uh, bigger plan, this resurrection plan, it's now in motion. Just hold off. I've got something for you to do. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. John 20, 18, he wants her to go and he wants her to tell others. And she does just that. I have seen the Lord. She goes and she testifies before the others, before the disciples. She says, Jesus has risen. I don't, I don't know how or, or what, but he has risen. Just as he said he would, he has risen. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've heard her. I've heard him call me, she says. He calls her, and she hears it with her own ears. And Mary experiences it in her own life, in her own heart, and in her soul. She experiences all of this in the midst of the impossible circumstances when all seems lost. Jesus was there, and he called her by name. That's her story. And so she goes and she shares it with the disciples, those she knew, those closest to her. She goes to them, those she loves, and she shares the story of what she's experienced. There are so many connections here to the rest of the Bible. Those angels at the head and the foot of where Jesus had been laid and the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament where when they offered sacrifices and the sacrifice of atonement, the blood of the animal would would land on that mercy seat, that top of the Ark of the Covenant between the angels where all the sin of God's people was laid. All the sin of humanity being laid at Jesus as he was in that tomb, or 
If you think about that, the vivid imagery of Jesus and Mary walking in a garden and her mistaking him for the one who tend, who took care of the garden, just as God had entrusted Adam and Eve with care of the garden, he would walk with them in the cool of the day before sin and death and darkness separated humanity from God. You see, that's what sin does. It causes us to fail to recognize God when he's at work. There's so many connections throughout God's word. And yet, as sin comes in, we feel torn apart and separated. We feel lost. We don't know which way is up in our lives. Under the best of circumstances, we can feel like that, let alone how we feel now. We can all understand it. We can understand how Mary felt and yet how she felt when things were changed. We want to make sense of this, like Mary and Peter and John and all the disciples. We want to know what's happening and we may cry out to God in the midst of all of this, where are you, God? What is happening? And like Mary, God responds and he, he calls us by name and he tells us. He calls us. He tells us after he has called us to go and to share what we've experienced. In Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 43, Peter has the gift of hindsight. He has seen the Holy Spirit fall on the believers at Pentecost, and he has ministered, he has shared from God's word, he has seen God's church come into being. He's seen it all, and what he didn't understand at the time, at that tomb, the first Easter morning, he understands it more fully, and he puts it into context for us. It's helpful, for us to, it's helpful for us today as we wonder, as we want to understand what we are to do in, these midst, uh, in the midst of these days of uncertainty in our lives and struggle and when fear creeps in, what do we do? How do we feel? This is great as life seeks to take away our peace and our strength and our faith. What does it mean for us to trust in God and to have that peace anyway? What are we to do and how are we to live in the midst of all of this? So let's take a look here at Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. Peter began to speak, Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent this message to the Israelites, proclaiming, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did, both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all people, but by us, whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. 
Here Peter looks back on the mission of the church and he is very honest, just as Mary was so honest at the tomb that day. And he reflects on the cross and on the resurrection because that's what, Je that's what Easter is about, that Jesus came. And he didn't come just to die or just to be a good example. Easter tells us he came to live and to make a way for us to have new life so that for the sake of our time here today we're going to look at this easter story we're going to look at this call of new life and we're going to look at three different p's here briefly peter's name begins with the letter p we're going to have three p's here that we remember to understand the resurrection that jesus didn't just come to die but to give us eternal life first of all we receive perspective on the Easter story in Acts chapter 10. Peter shares his hindsight view of what the Easter story means for all of us, and it means that we have forgiveness and new life in Christ. It doesn't matter who you are, or where you're from, or what's happened, or what you've done. We can all have this forgiveness. We can all have this new life in Christ if we would just recognize that we need it. In Acts 10.35, we read that we must fear God, and this doesn't mean we fear Him like some kind of bully or someone that would harm us. No, God loves us so much. That's what Easter is about. He loves us so much and he grants eternal life and welcomes us to be a part of his family if we would recognize what Mary recognized, what she understood that day at the tomb. That's what it means when it says fear him. Perhaps you've heard people use that phrase, the fear of the Lord. What it means is when we say fear him, you see him as greater than you as above you, as above your life, as your Lord. That's what Mary said that day. She called him her Lord. You have this new perspective on your life and who it belongs to and what it means that you would find your belonging, that we would all find our belonging in Jesus. Easter is about Jesus coming to make a way for you and for me, that we would have a way where one did not exist when all seemed wrong and destroyed, and when everything seemed impossible in, in your life and in my life, that God used Jesus to make a way, to make our lives that were destroyed and blown apart somehow to make them something beautiful. New life. That's the Easter story. That God took Jesus, and though he gave up so much, though Jesus gave up all of heaven and all of his power to come down and be born as one of us, that he would walk that long road to the cross at Calvary. I hope you took a look at our Monday Thursday service on our website. If not, it's still up there. You can find it. Take a look at that Monday Thursday service, that he walked that long road to Calvary, not just to lay down his life, but to take it up again, to have new life. God used his death and his suffering in that resurrection to make something beautiful and life-changing for all of us like he did for Mary. And he arose. And John and Peter and Mary, they saw it and we can know it. We can see it too. Because he loves us and he calls us, he knows us by name. He loved us so very much. He made a way for us to have new life. And verse 38 reminds us that God gave him that power, that authority to do this, anointed him as Messiah, the chosen redeemer. And he had that power to do good and to heal our very souls from the tyranny of the devil. You see, sin is what destroys and it is at the heart of all of the pain and all of the destruction we see in our world today. Even what we're enduring right now in our world is all because of sin. 
And Christ came to begin that healing process to destroy the hold, the stranglehold that sin had over our lives and over, over our world, even over the creation that will someday be made new. Think about it. The, mo- the worst moment in human history is, with, is when Christ dies on that cross. The most righteous man in all of time lays down his life willingly for us, and yet God is with him, and he arose. He rose from the dead, and that changes everything. Death itself, destruction, darkness is all turned on its ear, and that changes everything for all of eternity, so that death no longer has a sting. That's what we sing about this day. Hell has no victory because Christ has risen, and that, my friends, is perspective that goes beyond our current circumstances, beyond any circumstances we could ever endure, honestly. Even though there are days, and we are certainly in some that are painful, and they're, they're real, and sin, it's messy, and it, it destroys things. It tries to destroy everything it can. God is with Christ, and because of Him, He is with us. If you're a Christian, His Spirit dwells within you. You are not powerless And you have that understanding, that spiritual understanding, that perspective. And what does that give us? It provides us with our next P. It gives us peace. In Christ, we know the truest and best definition of peace in human history, not found in our bank accounts or in our circumstances, but in our very hearts and souls, in the depths of our being, in our lives. We know peace. Verse 43 of Acts 10 reminds us all the prophets throughout the history of God's word have said this, the cross and the resurrection that God has provided, the Easter story, it's the culmination, it's the focal point. This is the center of all of God's words, the thousands of years of scripture contained in God's word through the church today is all culminated in Christ's death and resurrection and friends that he will come back again. Zechariah chapter 9 that we talked about last week that the Messiah would ride in on a donkey and he would bring peace. He would provide it for us. Jeremiah 31, 34 in God's word. All these promises fulfilled in the Easter story. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their iniquity, that's their sins, and never again remember their sin. Never again remember our sin. And someday we will know that we will, we will not even sin anymore because God will come and restore all these things. There will be no more heart, no more hurt or suffering or shame or pain. And that, my friends, is what Christ came to provide to us. Not just in that death on the cross, but the proof is that he rose from the grave. And he completed all the work that God had declared from the beginning of his word to the end until the end of time when Christ comes back. He will complete that work. And that can give us peace from the fallen Genesis where sin began to the sacrifices in the Old Testament where that blood was placed on the mercy seat of the ark. All of that was pointing to Jesus and what we needed. Lasting peace through a restored relationship with God our Father. 
That's the story of Easter. Verse 39 reminds us we're all witnesses now of that, not just those who knew Jesus or were at the tomb that day, but all of us who have experienced this new perspective on God's work in our lives and in our world that know that Christ has arisen, all of us, that God raised him from the dead because, as we read in verse 38 there, God was with him. And that leads us to our last P, purpose. God has placed us here with a purpose. In verse 40 in Acts 10, it reminds us, verse 40 on reminds us in that passage, we have a twofold purpose to both preach and testify. Now, you may be thinking this morning, now, wait a minute, you're the preacher. That's not my job. Now, hold on, that's a whole different sermon to some extent, but not really. Just stick with me for a minute on that. Stick with me for a minute on what it means to preach. If God has given you spiritual perspective to know that Christ is Lord and that true peace that we all have, that his spirit dwells in us, if you've given him your life and he is your savior, that peace has taken hold. You've known forgiveness that is greater than your circumstances. You've known healing beyond the darkness of sin in the world around us. That true peace that we need now more than ever. If you have that, if you have that perspective, if you have that peace, if you know that forgiveness, well, then your life, you're a preacher too. Your life is going to preach. It's going to tell people the truth of God's word. It's going to overflow and share that Easter story. That's what it's going to do. The second part there is not just preach, but testify, that twofold thing. Testify that if you share from your life and from your experiences how that peace has come into you, how it has changed you. Your life is going to share. Like Mary and Peter and John did, your life will testify. I've seen God and here's what he's doing. Just as it did on that first Easter, death did not have the final word and that we can have new life and freedom to love and serve God through Jesus Christ. Beyond our everyday circumstances, beyond the pain and shame and suffering we knew before, our testimony is honestly, it's a fancy way for us to say, this is what Jesus has done and what he is doing in me through his death, and not just his death, but his resurrection. And that is why I am going to live for him today. That's what we say when our lives testify. They offer evidence, testimony, like you see in a courtroom, they offer evidence. And today, if you say, that sounds great, and I want to be a part of that, but I, I, don't, I don't know Jesus. I don't even know if I have ever really had that peace and that perspective, and I certainly don't think I've ever had that purpose in my life. I want you to understand, if you've never taken time to gain all of that, today is your day. Just as we saw at the tomb that morning, you can see that Jesus has arisen. You can have that peace in your heart. And you say, I don't know, but I know that just like Mary, he's calling my name today. If that's you this day, as we close here, I want you to, to pray with me. And I want you to know that you can have that peace. You can have that wholeness and that healing begin to bubble up in you. That your life would have direction and purpose. That, that weight you're carrying that sin places on you, it can be taken away. That healing can begin wherever you are, right here, right now, this day. Because that's the Easter story and that's what we celebrate. And friends, this is not the end. 
We can answer that question we asked early on. This is not the end. It's only the beginning. That's what those followers of Jesus had to learn that day. And that's what we as the church have to remember this day. Darkness can never have the final word. The cross and the empty tomb have the final word because Jesus lives. So whatever we face and whatever is yet to come, our lives are firmly in God's hands. He loves us. He sent his one and only son so we would have salvation from death and darkness and destruction. And just as he lives, because he lives, we too will live for all eternity. We may in all eternity know his peace, his comfort, and to be with him. Where are you, God? Easter reminds us that Christ answers back. I am right here and I'm waiting to walk with you. I'm waiting to wrap my arms around you and to love you and to welcome you, to bring you peace, perspective, and purpose because our Savior has risen. We too can know that today because friends, especially today, Christ has risen and he has risen indeed and we can rejoice because he lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this day. We thank you for the cross and that we have our sins paid for, that whatever we've done, that you don't remember them. As your word says, you know, he, you'll remember them no more, as you said in Jeremiah. And God, that you forgive us, and not just that the cross has taken away our sin, but that Christ arose, that we know that we have freedom in you, that we have new life, that sin and death and darkness no longer have their stranglehold on this world. And Though we endure it yet for a little while, you will come back and restore all things. Father, if there's anyone out there listening today who does not know you as their Savior, that they would understand, as Romans reminds us, they have to confess with their mouths that you are Lord, just as Mary did that day, and just believe in their hearts that you were raised from the dead and that you can have eternal life by giving your life. Just say, Father, I need you. I give my life to you today. I cannot have it. That I know that you're calling to me this day and I know that I need to give you my life and I surrender all of it, God, even the stuff I tried to hold back. I give you all of it this day that you would be my Savior and Lord. God, I just pray for any of those who have prayed, that anyone who has prayed that prayer this morning, that you would give them encouragement, Lord, that your Holy Spirit had drawn them in. And Father, just as our church and churches in our community that preach the whole counsel of God, the God's word, wherever you are, if there's somewhere else in the country that they would find, a church where they would receive sound biblical teaching and, Lord, that they would know what it means to belong to you, that your spirit would guide them, that you would illuminate God's word as you did for those disciples, even as Peter talked about this day. God, guide us, strengthen us, draw us in, deepen our faith, and give us that peace and that strength beyond our circumstances in the days yet to come. Lord, we pray that we would celebrate the power of the resurrection and who we are and our relationships and how we live. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.